Okay, go lay down. Dad's busy. <laughs> All right. I am ready. Let's do this. No, I was kind no, of hoping that when you clapped just, right there, he would come back and bother you again. He did. He something. literally just walked around and is, <laughs> is at me on the other side now. Moose, go lay down. I love you, but you're annoying. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. Featuring my gentle and loving co-host, Moose, my great Dane this week. <laughs> Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. This time my uh, door is closed, so we will not be joined by my co-host, Random cat. <laughs> and I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series, and my dog will also not be joining us this time around. But, Matt, I'm definitely glad that we can have your dog on the show. Well, if, you, if you hear some very loud sniffing and, and curiosity just oozing through the microphone, it's probably him. Probably, but not definitely. All of our articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? It's the decks versus the data. A showdown. That is right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know me, I love a commander showdown. Yeah, I like that name, the decks versus the data. That's uh, it's like a movie from the 80s. <laughs> exactly. Oh. We're going to be pitting all of our decks, well, not all of our decks, we've each put forth one tribute to compare to the EDH rec data. We're going to be taking a look at the top and signature cards for each of the commanders that we've chosen and see whether we are running the cards that are featured there or if we aren't. So we're going to try and see what our personal deck building style is like versus the deck building style of the masses. Are you guys ready? Game on. Yeah, let's, let's do this. Awesome. But of course, as usual, before we get started, I just want to know, have you guys built anything fun, received any new cards, played any fun games? I think last week I mentioned that I was um, in the process of, of putting together my Verena uh, Lich Queen deck. And I did. I like got the deck box out and started sleeping up cards and I was missing like, you know, six or seven that I wanted to put in the deck. So I was going to place an order for those last few. And I went to EDH night and... Despite me thinking I was safely past the point of no return, two people showed up with the Verena deck that night. Oh. <laughs> so, and, and the decks played well, and they were fun to play against. I played against both of them. But I'm like, I, now I don't want to build it. You know, not even like being like a hipster weirdo about it. I just, there's already two decks there. I just don't want a third one. I've got, there's nothing I'm going to add to that conversation. So, so that is now sitting here staring forlornly back at me on my desk. Oh, that's a really sad story, actually. But if it helps, there's no shortage of good zombie commanders out there. And as we know, zombies are the most popular tribe. So I'm sure that you can find a home for all those cards. I'm sure I eventually will. Yes. Matt, how about you? Um, so I made a discovery this week or this past weekend. Um, do you guys remember Cons of Tarkir, Fate Reforged, all those common tap lands that gain you life? That yeah. I do. So I found out because... I, I moved recently, as we've talked about. So I was going through like all my old cards, trying to make some space, just get rid of it. So, and I found out that all of those tapped common lands are worth like five to 11 cents 
when you sell them to Card Kingdom on their buy list. So I managed to send in a buy list purely of those tap lands for $100 store credit. That's how fast it all added up. Wow. Just of those tap lands. So yeah, I had $100 in a fat pack that I wasn't doing anything with. And I learned a little MTG finance cabal tech, if you will. <laughs> It's like free money at that point, too. You're like, oh, I got rid of a bunch of tap lands that I might use one of ever. And then oh, you don't yeah. feel bad about sporging on some card, too, because it's like it's it's kind of like found money then. Yeah, it was it was like 15, 20 copies of each from both sets, too. So it like it was just this massive stack. It almost filled um, or it was a little more than a fat pack, actually, because I, I had one little cardboard ones laying around. So I kind of stretched that out. But they're not moving. They're, they'll make it there just safe. Um, but yeah, so I, I found out if, so if you guys have all of those little tap lands laying around, uh, that stuff adds up really quick. Yeah. It's always a good idea to get rid of some of the cards you're definitely not using so that you can turn it into cards that you will. Do you know what you're going to do with all of that, uh, that buy list stuff that you got? I don't, I was thinking about kind of stockpiling credit a little bit and trying to grab a couple more, uh, dual lands. I know Tigers are still kind of cheap and I will play a lot of red green apparently. You, you guys and your dual lands. Well, maybe you could have some some podcast professionals look at one of your decks and offer up some suggestions for cards you could add. <laughs> yeah, like improving your mana base, like everyone has talked about ever. Definitely, pretty fun. That's a that's really cool, though, Matt. I'm glad that you were able to you know recycle some of the stuff that you're not using and hopefully turn it into something pretty fun. Yeah, myself. Definitely. I just played against a couple of my friends who just built a bunch of new stuff from Commander 2018. I just had the fortune or should I say misfortune, of going against a Eureka deck. Holy crap, she's so much faster than I expected. Uh, it did not take long before we were being dealt like nine damage a turn every time that he hit us, or anyone, with Eureka and a couple of tiny little ninjas. He's left one arcane adaptation down on the field, and then he just poked someone with a Solemn Simulacrum, which was now a ninja, and a Eureka, which was now a ninja, and like a Pilgrim's Eye, which was now a ninja. And then he domed us for nine, and then he did it again next turn, and he domed us for six. It was, the game was over so fast. It was, I was really surprised. Have you guys had the misfortune of playing against Eureka? Because I was really shocked. I had expected it to be a little bit slower with, you know, along the line of some other blue-black decks, but she ran out the gate full speed ahead. Um, I've seen one um, in the shop, and it moved pretty quickly as well. Um, and I was also kind of shocked, even though I think we were a little bit uh, higher on the card than I think a lot of shows that reviewed it. I think we had relatively favorable impressions. It still kind of surprised me. I don't think it won the game. The one game I saw, I don't think it won. But it, it, it felt like a real deck. It didn't feel like you were just playing ninjas to do something silly. It, it was legit. Yeah, the the only solace came when the next game he played, he whiffed a couple of times whenever he would like flip a card off the top and Eureka wouldn't dome us for any damage because it was just a land that he'd pulled. But if the worst case scenario is that you're drawing some cards, I think that's still pretty good. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that, that each opponent line at the end of it, I think people forget how good that is until they just get ranched by it, like just taken to the cleaners and yeah. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. I really enjoyed playing against that deck, even though it was so miserable and I died really fast. I wound up playing against a couple of Lord Windgrace decks as well in the shop, um, which was I thought was interesting since we just talked about it on a previous show. But kind of related to that, we had somebody on Reddit that hit us up and asked how come we didn't talk about 
mass land destruction in relationship to Lord Windgrace, which we didn't. I kind of realized afterwards it just was something that didn't come up. So I thought I would ask you guys here and, you know, kind of <laughs> hit you unprepared, but like, so for in a brief answer, what are your thoughts on actually running MLD in that deck? Because if there is something built for it, that feels like one that's pretty comfortable running it. It, it's really the comfort level for me on mass land destruction and wind grace would actually just be the comfort level of the group with my particular group it's not really something that we enjoy very much um, i think i've mentioned a, a story before where a buddy of mine uh he was playing itali which of course can flip free spells off the top of everyone's deck so he would play cards like wildfire which destroy four lands from everyone so then he's the only one who's casting spells because itali does it for free and the wildfire doesn't kill the itali it just kills everything that would get in itali's way uh and like that even that like it, it was impressive and he handedly he had that game in the bag after that point but even then we were all kind of like land destruction kind of feels bad but also with Atali, he managed to like even if it kind of felt bad in the moment he definitely had that game unlocked from that point there was very little possibility of him losing after that because he was getting so many free spells and it, i mean Atali's a six six like you just easily can chunk people out of the game with Windgrace, i do think it's a little bit different you can pretty easily get lands back from your graveyard with lord Windgrace, but i don't know with a sudden reclamation it probably feels better or a uh, mending of dominaria world shaper those things that get stuff back all those lands back on mass that probably seems better. If you're just doing it with one Lord Windgrace, like having to plus two, plus three, then minus three, then plus two, then minus three, then plus two, plus two, then minus three, and to get all those lands back so that you have an advantage over your opponents, that just seems grueling, and I'm not sure that my playgroup would have the patience for it. Yeah, I'm fine with mass land destruction in general. You're talking to the guy who had a Tajik Blade of Legion deck, and that was just a bunch of Ruination and Yokel Hops and Wrath of God and Armageddon effects. I'm fine with it. Uh, in Lord Windgrace, though, I don't. I, I agree with Joey. I don't know if it's that, if it's really the place. I almost actually said something when we were when we were talking about it, uh, mentioning you know play more basics. That's something that every deck should be doing is playing more basics, not just for Blood Moon effects, but like if you play somebody, that, even just a Ruination, it's just a a nice way to even the playing field and it punishes those four color decks, those three color decks that aren't you know playing a whole lot of basics. Um, I'm fine with it. I just don't know if Lord Windgrace is really the place because kind of like what Joey said, you need other cards to synergize better with some of the mass land destruction. If you build your deck that way, I don't think it's bad necessarily. I'm I'm a fan. I'm never going to tell anybody not to play, you know, Ruination or Armageddon effects in general. Don't confuse that. But I just don't know if Lord Windgrace is going to be able to get that value back quick enough. I do think that it's definitely a valuable way to go. If you're running stuff, um, one of my personal favorites, for example, would be Wave of Vitriol, which gets rid of all artifacts, enchantments, and non-basics and replaces them with basics. And so if you've got more lands than everyone else, that would be an easy way for you to cheat it. Uh, Ruination is a great one. I actually am definitely a fan of Blood Moon or Destroy Non-Basic Effects because I think that they do kind of punish the people who are a little cheeky with their mana bases, um, who, who go a little bit, they overstep their boundaries. Um, so it's definitely valuable. If you're playing something like a Wildfire in Lord Windgrace, I can definitely understand because you're going to have better access to those dead lands. Definitely. That sounds really great. But I, it's one of those things that you should negotiate with your playgroup to see, is it actually okay? Like Because it kind of feels bad in the moment is just sort of what I've noticed. Um, and so you just need to make sure that you talk that out with them because we want to make sure that everyone's having fun is all. Yeah, I think we're we're all kind of on the same page too. Um, I'm I'm in agreement with both of you guys. I I have no problem with it if you're going to win with it if you've got a plan. And most of the time when I see it, it's from someone who has a plan. 
Because right. um, I, I saw it actually last week. Somebody cast Epicenter in a Wind Grace deck, which is an old card from Odyssey. Um, and if you have Threshold, all players sacrifice all lands. So it was in a deck where it, it was in the Wind Grace deck, and he hadn't played his land for turn. So he hit Epicenter. We all lost our lands. But Wind Grace was still out. So he's able to play his land for turn, play two more lands. And then I think something else came out. And like he killed everybody within two turns, and it wasn't a big deal. Like that, that's how you should play Mass right. Land Destruction, as far as I'm concerned. And it worked well, and that was fine, and everyone moved on. Yeah, I think we didn't talk about it because there's not much to say beyond that. If you're going to do it, know what you're doing, win the game, and make sure everyone's cool with it, and that's really it. It's, there's just not that much to it, I don't think, to go into detail on, on that particular show beyond just saying that. Yeah, exactly. In a way, playing this game with people is a study in empathy. You, you're not there to have fun for only yourself. You're there with a group of folks who, like, yeah, you want to win, but you also want to sure. have fun, and so does everyone. And so, I don't know. We could we could wax philosophical on that a whole bunch. Let's actually get to the show, though. How about that? Yes, indeed. That's Alrighty. fair. We're going to be putting our decks against the data. We're going to be starting off with one of mine. This is my Rehan and Ishai deck, and we're going to see if the cards that I have in my deck match up with the top and signature cards. And hey, we'll even look at some new cards as well to see some of those percentages. So, to remind all of our listeners... Rehan, Last of the Abzan, and Ishai, Ojitai Dragon Speaker are partners from Commander 2016. So this is my four-color deck, red list deck. Rehan, Last of the Abzan, is the Golgari Commander, one green-black for a 0-0, zero, zero, but she enters the battlefield with three plus-one, plus-one counters on her. Then, whenever a creature I control dies or is put into the command zone, if it had a bunch of plus-one counters on it, you can move those plus-one counters to a target creature. And it has partner. I have partnered it with Ojitai Dragon Speaker. This is Azorius. Four mana for a 1-1 with flying. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, you put a plus one, plus one counter on Ishai Ojitai Dragon Speaker. So, this is a pretty fun plus one counters deck. I didn't go in, end up going with Atraxa. I ended up going with uh, Rayhan and Ishai. And let's see if the stuff that I've put in my deck matches up with the stuff that everyone else is putting in theirs. Alrighty, so first up we're going to look at some new cards that have been added to a Rayhan and Ishai deck. We have the three new lands, and I expect these are showing up on a whole bunch of pages. Bountiful Promenade, Sea of Clouds, and Morphic Pool. Those are those really cool dual lands from Battle Bond that enter the battlefield tapped, unless you have two more opponents. I will confess, I am running these. Uh, alongside them we also have Peer and Toothy. Peer, imaginative rascal, who puts extra counters on things, and Toothy, who draws you cards if he's got a bunch of counters on him. I will also confess, I am running those. All of those cards from Battlebond definitely made it into my iteration of Rehan and Ishai. But when we move to the signature cards, I do have a couple of discrepancies. First on the list of signature cards, we can see Hardened Scales, a lot like Pierre Imaginative Rascal, who puts, you know, Hardened Scales puts extra plus one counters on things. Definitely really good. We also have Corpse Jack Menace, which doubles the number of plus one counters that would go on your stuff. Really awesome card. We have Atraxa, which is definitely, we all know what Atraxa does. I... I am running Atraxa, but I will confess it's actually kind of close to the chopping block. I'm really just running her more for the novelty than I am for the actual like efficiency of it. She's a great creature, 4 mana, 4-4 four, four with Flying, De Vigilance, Death Touch, and Lifelink, and she proliferates all the time. It's fantastic, but the reason that it's kind of close to exclusion is actually because with this deck, what I wanted to do was go tall rather than going wide. So Ishai will collect a bunch of plus one counters, and if Ishai is ever threatened, Rayhan can move all of those other counters to other places. So Atraxa likes proliferating and going wide. It's sort of a little, uh, a little close. I am keeping it sort of for the novelty, but I, I don't know. Do you guys think that I'm crazy for maybe wanting to cut Atraxa? I don't. I think Atraxa is kind of slow, actually, especially if you're trying to go tall. 
um, only being able to get one per turn. And like if you're playing, you know, hardened scales, you get two, whatever. Um, but I do agree, it might be a little slow, um, maybe a little kind of too generic, I guess, when you're trying to focus it. Um, I don't blame you for wanting to cut it. Yeah, I think not having her in the zone makes a huge difference. When it's in the command zone, you can like tweak what you're doing around the fact that you know at will you can play that commander that's going to proliferate all that stuff in play. Having it in your hand, though, is way less flexible. So I feel like in that situation, it's probably going to just be a beater that puts like a single counter or adds one more counter to something, which isn't nothing. But the way this deck is built... I think you. I feel like you want monsters in your deck, and I. I don't. I don't know if she's a monster necessarily. So no, I yeah. get that for sure. Yeah, the, her biggest application so far has actually been to put a bunch of counters on her, and then to gain life from the lifelink. Sometimes, if the game isn't going my way, I'll need a way to climb back into a comfortable position. Because this being a redless deck, its main fault is that it's not very fast. So that's something that I might need if my opponents have gotten off to a good start and put me down to a really low life total. Sometimes her lifelink is actually one of her most valuable assets. So she's still here, and I like that I can run Atraxa in one of my decks. I think that's pretty funny. But, you know, I've got my eye on her. She's, she's the most popular commander, but in here, like, I don't know, she's not my most popular card. Moving on to one of the next signature cards, we have Hadana's Climb. This is one of those flip lands, flip enchantment lands, that is, from Ixalan. This one puts a plus one counter on one of your creatures each combat, and if that creature has three or more counters on it, then you can flip the Hadana's Climb into the Winged Temple of Arazka, which can tap for one mana of any color, pretty cool, and it can tap for three mana and tap itself, and target creature you control gains flying and gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is its power. I know that I just said that I like going tall, but I'm actually not running Hadana's Climb in this deck. I just sort of think it's a little slow. Really? I, yeah. I, now, see, I like it in this deck. I mean, it's better in an Azuri deck, obviously. But I, 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 confession, I'm also not running Azuri, but I think we all knew that. <laughs> Nobody's um, perfect. I, I do like Adonis uh, Climb in this deck a lot. That's one that I I would definitely have in the deck. At least, at least I would try it. Have you actually tried it in the deck, or do you just not like it based it, it on kind of the feel? Kind of, kind of the feel. So... If I feel like I need a creature with a flying, I've got one in my command zone already. And actually, there's a card that I'll be discussing a little bit later that will make all of my stuff unable to be blocked anyway. So I don't feel like the flying is giving me a huge boost. Beyond that, like, I don't know. So putting the plus one counters on things, that's not a problem. All of my creatures are going to have a lot of plus one counters on them. So Hidonis Climb will automatically flip. But paying four mana to buff up one creature, I I don't know. Like, it, it looks cool but at the same time i feel as though i have a lot of other ways to take advantage of how large my creatures are and i'm not sure that i need this one well it is interesting to hear that you guys are so much in favor of this card because it kind of struck me as one that i would never have considered yeah if you're trying to go tall i think this has a lot of upside because it's it's a repeatable source of extra you know commander damage you know throw all your counters on an ishai you know say he gets to you know 10 10 or 11 11 double down and then you just win right there I think the flying is kind of incidental. I think giving it plus X plus X where X is its power. I think that's got a lot of upside, especially if, like you said, you're not trying to go wide. You're trying to go tall. So if you, you know, the evasion, sure, it's nice in case you have to, you know, beat down with Ran. But yeah, I, I, I really think doubling something's power is pretty powerful, especially because you can play it. And I mean, it sure might be expensive the turn you play it, but then it turns into a land regardless it's, it turns into a four-color land. You know, you can get any color mana from it um, in a four-color deck. I know it's fairly important. 
Um, so I think the upside there, and if if anything, it's you know a, a three mana, put a counter on something, and nature's lore. Yeah, I also don't think the flying isn't entirely irrelevant. I I know the creature you're going to bring up here in a minute that gives stuff unblockable, but that is one card in a hundred, and it is subject to removal as well. This is much tougher for people to deal with. I feel like redundancy on a land that's doing other things isn't a bad thing either. Um, I just think there's not a lot of downside to it, and I feel it's got some pretty solid upside. Yeah, it might be one of those that I have to take a second look at. But I guess the way that I would put it is that if I need to double my creature's power, I actually have a lot of ways to do that already with things like Solidarity of Heroes and uh, what would they call it? Uh, bubbling Season, which is a deep glow skate. Like I do feel as though I have ways of increasing my creature's power, not least because I can actually I have a lot of sacrifice outlets in this deck and I can take a bunch of counters from one creature and move them onto another after people have declared what their blocks are. So I can just, you know, spread out my army, and then if one creature ends up getting through, then bam, that creature suddenly becomes super, super large and can kill someone already on its own. That said, I do like what you guys are saying, so I might have to give this one another look. Let's move on to another couple of cards, though. Mana Gorger Hydra, we all know this one. Three mana, one, one with trample. Whenever a player casts a spell, put a plus one counter on it. I am running this guy because it can go so tall. This is a really great way to collect some more counters that isn't just... Ishai in my command zone. It's nice to have some redundancy there. And then there's that Herald of Secret Streams. The four mana, two, three Merfolk Warrior that says creatures that I control with plus one counters on them can't be blocked. Totally running this guy. Absolutely wonderful. And this is that card that I mentioned earlier that Dana also just referenced. Yeah, this is a shoe-in for the deck for sure. Yeah, I like Herald a lot in this deck. I actually like Mana Gorger Hydra a lot as well, in part because being only three mana and being really easy to cast... It's nice to have those turns where you can drop multiple things, and this is one of those creatures that has a potential to be huge, but it also doesn't cost you, you know, six mana out of the gate either. It lets right. you cast something small and efficient that turns into something huge, which is always really nice. Definitely cool. The next card, however, I'm not running. That's Inspiring Call. It's a three mana green instant for two and a green. Draw a card for each creature you control with a plus one counter on it, and those creatures gain indestructible until end of turn. It's probably surprising that I'm not running this one. 64% of Rayhan and Ishai decks so far are. And it seems to synergize really excellently with the deck. It protects all of your stuff, and it can even draw you cards. That sounds amazing. My problem with it, though, is that it doesn't protect really great creatures like my Herald of Secret Streams or my Corpse Jack Menace, or in some cases, even my Atraxa. So if I've actually taken Inspiring Call out of the deck because it didn't save all of my stuff, and I'd wanted a couple more cards that would save all of my stuff. See, I, I, I think... Being able to draw a fistful of cards with Inspiring Call is so crazy powerful that even if it's not saving all of your stuff, um, the fact that you're drawing cards for the stuff that is saved, I I will nitpick and say Inspiring Call probably should be in there. It's, it's another on the fence, but I'll remind you that this is actually something I tend not to have too many creatures out. At max, I tend to have around four creatures on the board or so. I don't tend to have a ton of stuff that has a lot of counters on it because this is one of those decks, again, that goes taller than wide so i don't often draw too many cards with, with i will make one of my high ceiling arguments here though and say or excuse me high floor arguments and say not only does it have the potential to do that four or five card draw it doesn't have to do that to be good if you're drawing two cards for three mana at instant speed and screwing up someone's plans when they go to heroes downfall a creature or think they can block something or think they have damage coming through it still probably pays for itself. Like, I don't think this needs to be a home run to be a really efficient card 95% of the time in a deck. Drawing two cards and saving a thing is almost always going to be worth that three mana. 
It can be, but the problem I've also run into is that frequently the effects that I need protection from are actually Path to Exile, Swords to Plowshares, Chaos Warps, Cyclonic Rifts, which Inspiring Call doesn't help against, and that's been my issue with it. I'd actually rather, since I'm in blue, play a Negate or a, a Stubborn Denial, something that actually can counter that spell, and even if I'm not drawing cards from it, I am protecting the most important thing to me, which is usually my Rayhaun. I see. I see your point, and I you've played the deck. You've played the deck more than me. I I had a variant on this um, with Femiaplasm once upon a time, and then I also ran it with a Janara Asura of War, and I liked Inspiring Call on both those versions of the deck. But if if you think it didn't work out well for you, then you've got more experience piloting this beast than I do. Well, but this is something that we'll probably hear a couple of times as we go through each other's decks is that just like, oh, well, I think that you're wrong for playing it, but sure to each their own. We'll probably run into that uh, a couple of times here. And that's the thing that's nice, though. Like now that you guys are, you know, making me second guess some of the cards that I'm playing or making me, you know, having a discussion about a card is one of those times that, you know, I can be in my head and think that it works one way. But if other folks are reading it differently, then that's something that I should take into account. And so decks are always flexible. You know, I've put my list online, but in the next week, I'm probably going to change two or three cards. And after the show, I'm probably going to change a couple cards to see maybe I should actually try these cards out again. And well, you know, I didn't I give them it, a fair shake the first time. I call that doing homework on a deck. Um, and I like to assign myself homework on a deck, you know, probably once a week where there's a card that I don't maybe buy into. But I force myself to put it in a particular deck to try it out because until you actually try it out, you're just going on theory. So it's one of those things where, yes, I think, you know, this particular card isn't going to work in my deck, but enough people have suggested it and talked about it that at that point, I might as well make a homework assignment and actually try it out for a few games and see mm -hmm. what it does. Because you'll shock yourself sometimes to realize, oh, this card is really good in my deck. I wish I would have ran it sooner. And then sometimes you'll find out it just isn't that, you know, it, you were correct in the first place, but you don't know until you try it out. Exactly. I like that. Doing your homework. That's a, a really good call. So finishing out the signature cards for this deck, I also have a bunch of the cards that are listed here, such as Prime Speaker Zagana, draws you a ton of cards. Colonian Hydra, doubles up your counters. Forgotten Ancient, gathers a bunch of counters and puts them anywhere. Master Biomancer is a really fun place to put all those counters, because uh, as soon as it's got a bunch of counters on it, I can play one creature, and then Master Biomancer will use all of its counters to make my next creature really huge, which is super fun. Winding Constrictor, I'm also running. That's a lot like the uh, the hardened scales and the pure imaginative rascal gives you extra counters. But there are two more cards from these signature cards that I'm not running, and that's Path of Discovery, an enchantment from Ixalan that lets you explore whenever you play a creature, and Rishgar Pima Renegade. This is a 3-mana 2-2 elf druid that says when he enters the battlefield, put a plus-one counter on each of up to two creatures, and each creature you control with a counter on it can tap to add green. I'm not running either of these cards, which... I feel like I'll be repeating myself again is just because I'm not really going wide and these cards I feel are a little bit better in a go wide strategy with counters rather than the go tall one that I'm pursuing. Yeah. I don't really blame you for not wanting to play Rishkar. I, I it's just the effect I think is a little low floor to put it in Dana terms <laughs> only being able to, yeah, you get two counters on creatures, turn them into a land war elf. That's fine and dandy, but um, for three mana, I think there's higher upside cards you can be playing. I think Winding Constrictor probably has more upside than Rishkar, just because it, it, the incremental you know value that you get over turn over the turns, excuse me, will add up a lot quicker. Um, I'm kind of surprised at Path of Discovery actually. A because uh, it's just a good way to generate value. All your creatures exploring, maybe getting a counter just so you can shift over. And two, it's Joey and it puts stuff in the graveyard. So this is this is one of my few non graveyard decks, though. That's the problem. All right. 
I, I suppose. <laughs> and I guess the way that I view Path of Discovery is that it's a worse Cathars Crusade. And I guess I can, spoiler alert, moving on to the top cards, Cathars Crusade is a top card for this deck as well, showing up in 65% of the 204 Rehan and Nishai decks so far. And I'm actually not running Cathars Crusade either. See, that that I, I will... I think that's almost as wrong as not playing Inspiring Call, actually. Now, I'm on board with Joey with both those. I, I think Path is a great card, and I think it may be underplayed, but I don't think this is a deck where it's underplayed. I think it makes sense here based on how you're building it. I don't know if it gives you enough bank for the buck. Rishgar as well, and I'm on board with Catherine's Crusade for the same reason. If you're only ever putting you know a couple bodies in play, there's absolutely going to be games where no one ever deals with it and it gets out of control. But there's going to be games where that's not the case, too. So five mana is a lot. Double white is a lot in a deck that doesn't have that many white spells. Exactly. I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, the, the, the double white, I, I fully support. Yeah, in a four-color deck, just double any mana colors is going to be kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the best spells in this deck, they tend to be really high mana cost. I mentioned Prime Speaker Zagana earlier. Atraxa is four mana. Uh, Corpse Jack Menace is four mana. My commanders, I mean, they're going to be targets, and they're not exactly cheap on the recast. Uh, I mean, doubling season, I am running that one, but I mean, that's expensive too. A lot of the best plus one counter cards tend to be four, five, or six mana, and I just can't afford to run all of them, and so it, it's it's tough to make those cuts, but Cathar's Crusade, since it was going wide, I mean, it, it certainly has its moments. You know, if I've got a bunch of counters on my Chasm Skulker or something and it dies and Cathar's Crusade is out, holy crap, that's really great. But it, it, it doesn't always. I've I've played it a couple of games where I got it out and then I played one creature and two creature and while that was nice, it wasn't up to the same speed as what I know the rest of the deck can do. Moving on to some of the other cards that I'm playing, Deeplos Gate, I definitely am playing that one, mentioned it earlier. Varel of the Whole Clade, also running that one, another way to double the number of counters on my stuff. Champion of Lambholds, Crystalline Crawler, really great cards. And then we run into a stripe of cards that I'm not playing. Obzon Falconer. Tusk Guard Captain, both of which give extra abilities to your creatures with plus one counters on them. Not running either of those. They grant flying or trample, respectively. I just don't feel like I need them. Juniper Order Ranger, I'm not running that one for the same reasons as Cathar's Crusade. It puts extra counters on your stuff when you have a bunch of cards going wide. And then probably two of the most controversial that I'm not running are Gave Guru of Spores and Gyre Sage. Gave feels like an investment in mana and doing things maybe the deck doesn't want to do, I buy that. Gyre Sage gets out of control in a deck like mm-hmm. this. It, used, it it won me so many games, and last week a buddy of mine showed up to the shop with his Peer and Toothy plus one counters deck, and both games I think he had a Gyre Sage out, and it was it just wrecked the board state as well. I, it's a Even if you're not casting that many creatures, if you get one or two counters on it, it's a pain in the butt, and it's really easy to get five or six. And it's not that hard to get 8 or 10, and you're just screwed then if that's the case. Here's my problem. Yes, what you said is definitely true. But my problem is that Gyre Sage doesn't... Like, I hate that this card is like 1-2. That's one of my... I, I wish it was a 0-1 or something. Because it only taps for mana if it has a counter on it already. Which right. means I need my next play needs to probably be my Rayhan. And frequently, I actually don't want to run out Rayhan that quickly because Rayhan's the backup plan. It's the thing that I play once I've gotten my stuff established rather than the thing that I need to like immediately put out there. The card that I frequently want to put out immediately is actually Ishai herself. And that's a 1-1, which doesn't evolve the Gyre Sage. And while Gyre Sage is really, really great if I can get a bunch of counters on it, 
that, that is kind of an if, and I'm not usually evolving my creatures. I don't know, like if, let me put it this way, I suppose. If I've gathered a bunch of cards and I want to put, you know, and they're about to die, and with Rayhan I want to put my counter somewhere, I don't want it to be on the Gyre Sage. I want it to be on a Hooded Hydra or a Chasm Skulker or something like that. So, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'll put it this way as well. The card that I'm running instead of it is actually Salvala Heart of the Wilds. That is from the Conspiracy 2 set, which can tap for mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. This is a pretty pricey card. I actually opened one in that originally uh, Conspiracy 2 box that I got, and so I just happened to have her before she got crazy expensive. But she has performed quite a bit for me because as my Ishai grows, she can still provide me mana without me having to divide my attention with those counters. And I think one argument against Gary Sage as well is that it only adds green mana. Uh, There's also that, four, that's right. Yeah, in a four-color deck, I think that it's kind of the same reason I don't really fault you for not playing Rishkar. Only adding green mana in a four-color deck, like that's not going it, to... It's nice, but it's only going to help you with the generic mana cost and then obviously the green. So yeah, I, I think that drawback, if it was any color, um, I think it'd be a very different conversation. But as is, I, I don't really blame you for not wanting to seeing the pull but yeah but cutting it at the same time yeah four is, is definitely much different than than three color in terms of making mono green so that's a, that's a fair point right and and it's another one of those like with the inspiring call even kind of with cathar's crusade to be honest where i'm like maybe i should do my homework on this card again um but it has burned me a handful of times where i played it and then it didn't tap for mana for three turns and it died and that really really sucked but anyway, enough about Gyre Sage. I'll move on to the last three cards that we're seeing in the top card section. Chasm Skulker, which I've mentioned I am running. Merciless Eviction, which I am also running. Amazing removal spell, that one. And then one card that we know I'm not running, which is Bread for the Hunt. The three mana Simic Enchantment that says whenever a creature you control with a plus one counter on it deals damage to a player, you may draw a card. This has been a challenge to the stats in one of Dana's uh, picks for an earlier episode. He correctly identified that this card is a lot worse than it looks. 46% of people are playing it, and according to Dana, 46% of people are wrong. Yeah, I, st I still stand by that. I mean, even if, you, even if you do want that effect, even if you have enough bodies to justify that, that, that thing, just run Biden to Thassa or Coastal Piracy and not have to worry about everything having a plus one counter on it. Yeah, it's just, as you've mentioned in the past episode when you challenged this particular card, yeah, if if I'm in a position to draw a bunch of cards from this card, it's because I'm already winning that game, so I don't really need yeah. this effect. Yeah, even at the same man even at the same mana cost, you can just play Edrix by Master of Trust and you know get that same effect, but a little more broad. Yeah, and I like on-theme cards. Bread for the Hunt is a really on-theme card, but it's another one of those cards that every time that I tried it out, I was like, huh. This is not as great as it looks. Phyrexian Arena, this is not. And even Phyrexian Arena, I have some problems with. I've been on the Painful Truths train for a while now, and that one, that does show up in the deck. But anyway, those were the top and signature cards for Rayhan and Ishai. Some of them I'm playing, because they're really awesome, but some of them I'm not. And I hope that, you know, the, my reasoning was, was pretty good, even if my co-hosts think that I'm wrong about a few of them. But as Dana said, I'm going to do my homework too. We can move on now to the next segment. We're actually going to stop looking at the cards for a second and go head to head. I've been talking a whole lot about some cards that I'm playing. So, Matt, how about you start us off with the head to head segment where we try and guess which card is more popular than the other? How about we go to Dana because Matt got wrapped up in everybody else's decks and did not prepare a head to head. <laughs> Dana, fine with how that. about you? <laughs> yeah, I've got um, I have five cards here, but it, it's a cycle. And, and so we'll play a little, a little variation on this. 
uh, back in Tempest, there was a cycle of two-drop artifacts, the medallion cycle, and they all say the same thing. Um, <laughs> spells cost one less to cast of the appropriate color. So there's a you know one of each color, and if whatever, whatever one you have cast, those spells cost one less mana, one less colorless mana. So there's quite a bit of difference between the most popular and the least popular of that medallion cycle. Um, and I was genuinely a little bit thrown by that. I assumed it would roughly be equal. So does anyone have a guess as to what the most popular and the, mo- the least popular of that five-color cycle would be? I would say the blue one's probably the most popular just because they struggle to, to ramp by themselves. That's true of most of these colors. <laughs> You know, red struggles to ramp, white struggles to ramp. Uh, The thing that I'm going to definitely win most slam is that green is the least popular of these medallions because green's already got all that ramp that it needs. It would rather play a Farseek. Green is the least popular. You guys are correct there. Uh, It's only in 3,600 decks. I think for the other two, though, I I, I like Matt's guess with blue, but when I played a mono blue deck, I found that I had so many artifacts in the deck that the medallion was actually kind of in my way. I think I'm going to go with red. Red, I I think, kind of likes that it's an artifact, and I mean, Duretti's really popular as well, and it came in that deck. uh, I'm, I'm not confident about it, but I think red's combination of needing help with mana ramp and its liking artifacts is probably what's going to push me in that direction for for guessing red. And Matt, you're going with a blue one as I'm number gonna, one? I'm going to stick with blue. Okay. So we established green is is in the last place. Slightly above green is the pearl medallion at, in 4,800 decks. So the mono white one. And I would guess a part of that one is there's probably just not a ton of mono white commander decks being played. Exactly, yeah. Ruby medallion is three. Dang. It's it's at six, just about 6,300 decks. And then jet medallion is is second highest, followed by Sapphire at number one. Yeah, Dang, Matt, good job, Matt, Matt. got it. Uh, all right. That, that does make sense, I, though. Yeah. I actually thought we would get... I, I thought Sapphire and Ruby would be a bit above everybody else. But nope, Jet is there about 500x above Ruby Medallion. And I think that might, as you mentioned, Dana, be speaking to the popularity of each of those colors on their own. Although, with that said, Black is the most popular single deck color. Um, so that is pretty interesting. Looks like folks really like that. That sapphire medallion. Ah, dang. Matt keeps winning these bets, and it's really annoying. Matt, do you have a head-to-head now? I do. Um, So Don Miner, the progenitor of EDHREC.com, you may have heard of the website. (laughs) He talked um, our daily commander on the website. So one feature, I don't know if you you listeners uh, know that we have, is there's a daily commander um, on our homepage where it just kind of highlights just a random commander, random legendary creature, and just kind of shows you the top cards that are played in it, gives you kind of an idea, just uh, a way just to give exposure just to those deep cut, recce history Kamigawa type commanders. So Karn Silver Golem was the daily commander today, and Don was talking about it a little bit. And it got me thinking about, you know, some of the the mana rocks. How does, you know, mono brown, colorless, whatever you want to call it, how do they ramp? Because I know we talk about Soul Ring and all that stuff, but there, there's some higher end cards, especially when you combine it with, Karn Silver Golem's ability, what really can dig in deep? So I was browsing it earlier today, I won't say <laughs> when, at some of the mana ramp spells, and I wanted to get your guys' opinion on what you think is played more in Karn Silver Golem decks between Thran Dynamo and Basalt Monolith. So Thran Dynamo, everyone knows, four mana for a artifact. 
taps to add three colorless mana. But Basalt Monolith is a artifact for three mana. It does not untap during your untap step, and you can tap it to add three mana. Or then you can pay three mana to untap the monolith. Um, for those of you who don't know, monolith combos with a lot of things. And that's why it's so popular. So I wanted to see what you guys, Joey and Dana, think. What is played in more, a higher percentage uh, of Karn Silver Golem decks between Thran Dynamo and Basalt Monolith? Okay, I gotta stop you with the Basalt because it's Basalt. But I'm still picking Thran Dynamo. Um, my guess um, is going to be Basalt Monolith as well. <laughs> That's, is that right? Did I get that right? <laughs> Because, and, and here's why, if this was a commander, like if we were talking Atraxa or something, you know, something from the last several years, it was in a pre-con deck, I would guess Thran Dynamo. It's been reprinted. It's readily available. Monolith is not quite as available. It was in a pre-con, but we have not reprinted in a master set or anything. However, that Karn is a pretty obscure card. It's on the reserve list. You know, it's only had the one reprinting, I think, in a From the Vault before they changed that ruling. It, it's a weird card too. I don't think the average like casual player is playing it. So I think people who are playing Karn Silver and Golem are kind of doing deep dives on what they're running, which means they'd much more likely be running some kind of a combo engine, I would guess. So I'm gonna guess the monolith for that reason. That's a pretty yeah. good evaluation of base sale to monolith. I yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Matt, I'm totally messing with you. What's the right answer? I'm going to pick apart every mispronunciation you have from now on. Oh, and I know that I've got them. <laughs> I shouldn't throw stones. Glass no, no, we're, you're fine. Um, so Joey actually is the winner. Um, <gasps> yes, Thrain right. Dynamo, or Thrawn Dynamo, excuse me. It's Thrain Dynamo. Uh, well, and like Kaideli, Kadili. how, oh how did goodness. we, we had that debate already too. But Thrain Dynamo, <laughs> 84% of uh, Karn decks, whereas the monolith, as we'll say, only seventy <laughs> percent of Karn Silver Golem decks. All right, alrighty, very, so con- very. Congrats, nice. congrats to Joseph. I, I overthought it. You did, I, but you know your reasoning wasn't wasn't a bad one at all. And you're right; it's quite the combo piece. It's it's pretty great. Yeah, the the hipster factor on the monolith is definitely up there. And and we, Don was talking and got me looking at the uh, on the filters page um, at the expensive filter. And it was spice, to say the least. Okay, let's move on to my head-to-head. And that is going to be between two enchantments that duplicate tokens. We're looking at Anointed Procession and Parallel Lives. These cards are exact copies of each other, four-minute enchantments that double the number of tokens that you put into play. But one of them is green and one of them is white. Specifically, I'm actually going to be looking at them in two separate decks. We're going to be looking at Verena Lich Queen, that new Commander 2018 Esper commander that can create zombie tokens from your graveyard, and Sidisi Brood Tyrant. Sidisi, as we all know and love, is that most popular Sultai commander who mills you every time she comes into play or attacks, and she makes zombies whenever you mill creature cards. Is Anointed Procession showing up in Verena decks more often than Parallel Lives is showing up in Sidisi decks? It's a really good comparison, actually. And, and are, I'm writing about them for a Commander Showdown article, actually. You should check it out. So are, are we talking the the percentage, not the overall decks? Yes, definitely the percentage, because Sidisi is quite a bit older, and Verena yeah. is totally brand new. So, yeah, the overall number definitely weighs in Sidisi's favor. But how about that percentage? <sighs> this is a good one. I, I think you I mean, I think you definitely are going to have to make a compelling case for not running those two cards in your appropriate deck. 
So I don't know what that case would be, but they, I think that they should be in those decks. So it makes it really difficult to guess which one is more correct. Um, I am going to say more Farina decks are running on a procession just because people have them lying around um, versus, you know, if you built a Sidisi deck, you know, six months ago, maybe you haven't picked up your Parallel Lives yet because it's $12 or whatever it is and people don't have them in binders. That's a guess. Matt, you got anything, any logic to your uh, decision I th- here? Yeah, I, well, I think... I think Anointed Procession is so much newer that there's going to be more players that have their hands on them. Whereas Parallel Lives, those are probably the people that do have them. They probably have them in a deck already. So there's probably loose copies and binders of Anointed Procession waiting to be used. Yeah. So so now that Verena's out, I, I want to agree that I think there's more Anointed Procession in Verena decks than there are Parallel Lives. Well, but you also have the pre-con effect here, I guess. Because how many people are just going to be throwing their, their stock Farina deck up without Anointed Procession? So, I mean, that might throw it off, too, now that I think about it, that. Yeah, it could. But I think the pre-con effect, I think, it, and with that one, with it being tribal, I think it might work a little bit against it. I wouldn't be surprised either way, but I think I'm going to go with Verena as well. With Alrighty. An, or with Anointed Procession for Verena. You guys are super correct. Verena is currently running Anointed Procession at 78% popularity. But interestingly, Sidisi is only running Parallel Lives at 21% popularity. Wow. A difference of 57%. I was shocked when I first saw it, but I think I have a good reason. You guys did mention some really important stuff like Anointed Procession is more recent and there's a recency bias there. Uh, You know, Parallel Lives being especially a little bit older and kind of harder to get probably informs that a bit too. But I think one of the number one reasons here is because Sidisi's deck, by definition, needs to be at least one-third creatures because Sidisi mills three cards every time she comes into play or attacks, and you need at least one of those cards to be a, uh, a creature so that she can create you a zombie token. So that puts a lot of pressure on her non-creature cards. They have to be just really, really stellar. So she's probably spending more of those slots on things like removal spells or something like that. So I think that pressure is probably what puts it at such a lower number. But I am actually on board with you, Dana. I think that they're both excellent enchantments for both commanders. And if I were running a CDC deck, I would want to find a slot because doubling the number of zombies you make is never a bad thing. And I do recall from trying to build CDC, it was really challenging trying to get all the pieces you wanted in the deck into the deck. Right. With so much pressure to run at least that many creatures so that she has, you know, a really good chance of flipping a creature off the top of your deck. It's... It's pretty tough, but I, I do really like that one. If the point is to make zombies, then I feel like you should do as much as you can to, to help that out. But anyway, that's enough about head-to-head. Let's now move on to criticizing Matt's deck. I mean, challenging Matt's deck. I mean, comparing Matt's deck to the signature cards and top cards according to EDHREC. Take it away, Matt. All right. Well, so this week I figured it was only prudent to feature the deck that originally got me rolling with all the... Uh, Winning that I do here. So much winning. <laughs> you guys will not believe how much winning. Um, but Moldrotha, the Gravetide. I built this deck, had it all ready to go. Still have not received that Moldrotha I was promised by a couple of my co-hosts somehow. Oh, really? We'll, we'll have a sidebar about that con- about that later. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we'll start with the new cards. And I can tell you right off the bat, um, all the cards that are featured, I just don't have any because I... I'm very slow to adapt new cards. I, it's just a fault of mine. Um, I can see why you'd want to play a lot of them, though. Uh, Night Incarnate, 
I do not play. It's a, a vote card. You can kind of wipe the board, keep it all clear. Uh, I actually think that's really sharp. I am not huge on evoke creatures in general, though, and we'll kind of get to that a little bit later, too. Morphic Pool, it's great. It's a dual land that comes in untapped most of the time. It's one of those Battle Bond duels. Uh, Stitcher's Supplier, actually, I think is very nifty. I like uh, kind of Veteran Explorer type effects. So vet, uh, Stitcher's Supplier is just one black for a 1-1 one, one zombie. When it enters the battlefield or dies, uh, you, mill, you mill yourself for three. I think that's great. Moldrotha likes having everything in the graveyard so that it can you know keep getting that value rolling. And Stitcher's Supplier does that very well and very cheaply. Win Grace's Judgment, that's a card that we all kind of uh, felt pretty good about, and I probably will be grabbing one of these for Moldrotha, just being able to hit uh, a non-land permanent of anything that the opponent controls, and each opponent as well. Uh, that's something pretty solid. Entreat the Dead, I don't think I'm going to put in there. Um, that's the new Black Miracle card that apparently wasn't going to exist, according to Jason Alt. Um, I, I, I was kind of torn on it. I don't think I'm going to put it in here. I can see why people would if you are doing, you know, big on the reanimation effects. But, you know, if it's going to get to a certain point where it's worth it, you may as well just be playing uh, Rise of yeah. the Dark Realms. And that's one card I do love. But, yeah, and treat just for the mana, I think, Joey's what well, you're Well, the mana cost saying. is high. But also, while these new cards are showing up on the page for EDH Rec, like, it's just because these are the ones that we've seen some action for. So Night Incarnate, for example, 54% of the new Muldrotha decks tend to be running that. But only 23% of, of, of Muldrotha decks are running Entreat to the Dead so far. I think that that popularity, 23%, is probably only ever going to go down. I think because it's a new card, it looks kind of snazzy, but... It's it's just showing up there because it's new more than it is because it's popular, and I definitely think you're right not to include it. Yeah, and it only hits your own graveyard, too. Yeah, I don't even know if it's that great in a deck that has the ability to do weird top deck stuff. In a deck that doesn't, like Modrotha, where you're not doing a ton of that, I definitely don't love it there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I do want to stress, though, because this came up in Joey's deck as well, those Battle Bond uh, dual lands. I think when we talked about them, we were really high on them. And I don't know. I don't know if we were high enough. Like as as much as we gushed about how good they are, I just like if if I'm building a two plus color deck and I'm not running Battle Bond lands, it's because I ran out. <laughs> like I, I'm like I've been just like thrilled every time I I put one into play. So as good as they were, they're we thought they were. They're they're better than that. Yeah, they're they're pretty saucy. Yeah. All right, Matt. How about some signature cards? We'll see if you're running some of these bad boys. So the top signature card is Seal of Primordium. Of course, I'm playing this one. Uh, I love Seal of Primordium. It's just a nice disenchant effect that you don't have to use right away. You can bank the mana, have it set around, and it's an enchantment according to Muldrotha's ability. Um, actually, I should probably read Muldrotha for you guys, shouldn't I? Because, oh yeah, you know, that might be helpful. So Muldrotha is three and soul tie color. So black, green, blue uh, for a 6-6 six, six legendary elemental avatar. And it also reads... During each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent card of each permanent type from your graveyard. So play a land, play a creature, play an enchantment, artifact, planeswalker, whatever you want to be doing. I guess if you have a tribal permanent, you can play that too, I guess. Uh, I don't think that actually counts as a type, but that's really not a there. The, I don't, it I don't counts know if for the Tarmogoyf, for the rules yeah, it, it does. For, it does for Goyf. I'm so, not sure if it counts as a permanent type, though, but I don't think that this is the space to get into nitpicking that. Uh, no, go on with your, with your deck, though. It will not be irrelevant, no. Yeah. Um, so, kind of like I was saying earlier about evoke cards, Moldrifter, I am not playing. I realize it's repeatable. 
uh, divin- but you may as well be playing Divination and you can do other things that are going to have a bigger impact. I don't think I've ever put Mold Drifter in any deck. Take that mm. for what it's worth. I do like Mold Drifter in some Blink decks, like in Brago or Rune. I am kind of surprised that you're not playing it, but you do point out that, yes, it is a repeatable Divination, but it is also just Divination, and there are probably some ways that you could generate card advantage without having to spend your mana and without having to spend your creature slot for your Moldrotha Revival. Exactly, yeah. If, if I'm casting my creature to draw two cards, like I would rather be doing some bigger impact things. And really, you don't need a huge hand with Moldrotha out because... I mean, your graveyard is your hand. Um, granted, you have, it's a little limited, but you don't need that mass, you know, draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, that was the point I was just going to make, is Maldrotha kind of is itself card draw, and not saying you shouldn't have any, but the, the decks where Maldrifter really shines, it really fills that kind of draw slot, and you just don't need that as badly as some other decks do. Yeah, I think that's to- fair. Totally agree. So the next on the list, Caustic Caterpillar. It's just one mana, one green mana for a 1-1. One, one. Uh, it's kind of like a Seal of Primordium. Sack it, blow up an artifact or enchantment. I am also running that. That I don't mind playing because um, there's another creature down the list. I like being able to have kind of a toolbox effect that goes through all my decks. Uh, and Muldrotha is no different. So Caustic Caterpillar, definitely in. Uh, Mystic Remora, um, one of those great enchantments. Uh, cumulative Upkeep, one blue mana. Um, whenever an opponent plays a non-creature spell, I can draw a card unless they pay four. So the cool thing about Cumulative Upkeep is I don't have to pay it because I can just recast Mystic Remora every turn as my enchantment, and then I'll have that effect go around. I can pay the Cumulative Upkeep of one or two or whatever if I want, or I can just let it die and then recast it for a single blue. So um, that interaction with Mystic Remora is super powerful, and I've drawn a ton of cards off Mystic Remora. Yeah, and that's a nice way because it's a lot less of a mana investment than the Moldrifter, like you mentioned. How about Very this much. next enchantment that we're seeing, Secrets of the Dead? Whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard, draw a card. Are you running that guy? I am playing that one. Um, that one, Okay, good. <laughs> I, yeah, that, that one is fantastic. It's, it's, it's great. It, was that not in my list that I sent you? Uh, I, oh, there it is. I am, yep, I am seeing it. Okay, good. I, you had me worried for a second. I was like, I know I'm playing it because I bought 19 of them when they were... Like that's right you had that story about how you, you have uh yeah you'd better be running it with that many yes but yes per, uh, secrets of the dead is just an enchantment for two and a blue um whenever you cast a spell from your graveyard you can draw a card so all those creatures artifacts everything basically but a land whenever you do it from your graveyard uh draw an extra card i think that has a little more impact than a mold drifter that you know you have to keep investing in all the time whereas enchantments a little harder to interact with it just sits there and just accrues value if they blow it up I can recast that, I guess, and then just keep going about my business. If they blow up Secrets of the Dead, you've already won. If someone's oh, yeah. wasting a removal spell on Secrets of the Dead, you're already ahead of them. Yes, definitely. But yeah, next up, um, a couple creatures that are, are high up on there that I'm not running. Uh, another Evoke creature that actually I don't mind because it's a nice kill spell, but Shriekma, uh, Spore Frog, and Secure uh, Tribe Elder. I'm not playing any of those three. Shriekma, I could see um, making room for. Secure Tribe Elder... I think I've put in maybe three or four decks ever. I'm just not huge on it. And Spore Frog, it only fogs one person per turn, and I'm just not super keen on that. What? If I could, if I could do it every, if I could do it every turn, it'd be a little bit different. Um, but fog effects, I would just rather block, recur stuff. I don't know. 
I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Sporefrog is so good, even if it's just as a deterrent. I Wow, I'm really surprised to hear that you're not running any of those three. A removal spell, a, a way to search more lands, and a way to prevent damage to yourself. That's really surprising to me that you're not running these guys. I, I have so many other creatures that I like recurring, though, that like there's you can only do one per turn, which is the big problem. Mm-hmm. And if you have all these things, say you have a Shriekmaw, Spore Frog and a Secure Tribe Elder all in the graveyard. You can only do one of those. Um, so everything gets cramped. So I tried to make sure that my dispersal of my card types was fairly even. I was trying to get lots of different effects from lots of different types of cards. Just these three creatures, they kind of got pushed out because all the other creatures that I'm trying to run and recur, just those effects I'm, I'm valuing a little bit more. I don't think they're wrong necessarily. I, I think Spore Frog probably is, is worth that 46% of Muldrotha decks. Secure Tribe Builder, it's a gold standard. I, I won't fault anybody for playing it, uh, but it just gets crowded out in this deck. I, I can understand that. Like, what you'll want to do with, you know, having a bunch of creatures or a bunch of artifacts or a bunch of enchantments in your graveyard is not actually good for you. I mean, it's nice for the utility. You have a toolbox, I suppose. But what you need is the one thing that you're going to keep recurring so that you eventually will win the game with it. So I can see the argument. I think these are really great utility creatures, but I can also see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I what I tried to do with this deck, I tried to have uh, as many of my creatures or just card types in general have multiple card types. So like Noxious Gear Hulk, for example, that's one of my favorite cards in the deck because I can play it as my artifact or my creature for the turn. Tried to focus on on spells like that that you know I can use on different slots. Yeah, that that's probably been one of the the biggest things that I think people aren't doing. Uh, with Moldrotha decks is is prioritizing stuff like Moriok um, and Ariok Replica. Um, those guys, they're just a, a spell creature. You can recur them, play them as your creature or your artifact for the turn. Um, that's where I put a little more emphasis on than in Shriekmon via Vogue type effects. And I do think that's really clever to use things that are of multiple types so that you can have more versatility in your graveyard. I like that a lot. Yep. Well, one of the things that's interesting too about Moldrotha decks in general and, and the cards you're running here they're not cards that are good in Maldrotha. They're cards that are good in every... Like, Seal of is always a good card. Mystic Remora is always a really, really good card. Flashback mm-hmm. Marauder is always a really, really good card. And they're great in this deck, just generically, but they're so much better because you're not just casting Seal of Primordium, you're casting it three times. You're not just casting that Mystic Remora and then it's going away in three turns after you've gotten value out of it. It's their all game unless somebody deals with keeping Muldrotha off the field 24-7. So I, right. that's that's one of the things cool with this deck and looking at your top list. It's it's all cards that are great just generically, let alone in a deck where you can reuse them. Yeah, and that's one thing that, you know, I was talking to somebody on Twitter uh, the other day about, you know, just Muldrotha is just generic value. It doesn't actively win the game. If you dig into my list a little bit more, yes, I, I'm playing a few of the staple cards. I'm playing Commander Sphere because you can, you know, Basically pay two mana and draw a card. Stuff like that. You know, I'm playing a, a few of the top played cards, but then Moldrotha actually I really, really like, and I may have said this, you know, on the cast before, Moldrotha is actually a pretty good combo commander. What is the card? The uh, you Final tutor parting? for Final Parting, that one. That card basically reads, find a two-card combo, win the game. So I, I've used that card a lot just to, to actually close out games. One thing that we talked about, you know, with Mass Land Destruction is, Make sure you're actually finding a way to close the game. Uh, I tried to keep that in mind when I was building Moldrotha. It's not just spinning my wheels. How many, you know, 
value recursion things can I do every turn? It's, you know, I'm going to dig as fast as I can to get this combo out and then win the game. So it's it's actually done pretty well. It's it's closed games pretty quickly, um, whether with, you know, some cycle or not cycle, but just some draw stuff like Ancient Excavation, being able just to draw a fistful of cards. And, you know, if I don't need them this turn, I can put them in the graveyard and use them next turn. Uh, cards like that, just finding a way to actually make sure I'm pursuing a way to close the game was something that I, I tried to keep in the you know in the front of my mind while I was building Moldrotha. That makes sense. And Final Parting is a great one for that. It gets you a card into your hand and any card into your graveyard, which kind of makes it like the banned card Gifts Ungiven. Like, because people will use that and they'll sort of cheat it. They'll fail to find and only find two cards and then they'll put those into the graveyard. So Final Parting kind of fills that role for you as well, where you're just immediately getting any two cards that you need. That's pretty clever. So there's a couple of other signature cards here. I'm not sure if you're running, let's see, Pernicious Deed destroys a bunch of stuff. Fleshbag Marauder makes people sacrifice. Ashnod's Altar, sacrifice for mana. It's a really great combo piece. Are you running those guys? Uh, I am running Pernicious Deed. Uh, being able to recur some mass removal is, is pretty solid, actually. Um, I'm not running Fleshbag Marauder. That's one that I tried for a couple games, and it just was ho-hum. Uh, I know I was playing against some decks that it probably was really bad against. One was a tokens deck. One was an elves deck. So that that was probably was a bad measure. But I took that out. Ashnod's Altar, I am playing. I'm not playing Sadisi Brood Tyrant or the Gitrog Monster. Those are the last two cards on the signature uh, signature list. I think those just, they tend to lean a little bit more towards spinning the wheels. Sadisi Brood Tyrant, it's just very mana intensive. Um, and, and in three colors, I try to stay as far... I, I'm okay with playing a few of them, but I try not to go out of my way to play, you know, three color, four drops uh, like that. So, yeah, they, they both, you know, didn't really get in the cut or Gitrog wasn't even consideration for me, to be honest. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, they're both really great, but they are the more of the uh, persistent value, as you mentioned, a, a constant consistent value train or something like that. And it sounds like you're going for something a, a lot faster than most people will expect, which is pretty cool. Yes. So if we move on to the top cards now, so we're moving from the signature cards, which tend to be a little more unique to Muldrotha, and now some top cards that just are really good in this particular color scheme. We've got stuff like Eternal Witness, Lightning Greaves, Animate Dead. What about these guys? I can tell you all three of those I am not playing. Eternal Witness, like we said, you, you don't need stuff in your hand because your graveyard is your hand. So Eternal Witness just kind of does nothing, really. If you're trying to get back, you know, some spells, that's that's one thing or another. But I actually play Archaeomancer um, to fill that role. So Lightning Greaves. Uh, whoa, 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 I, what? What? I'm, I'm, I mean, like, yes, I get that you don't need Eternal Witness to get back any permanent. But Eternal Witness is just in that is, argument. Is a, a card. It's a three mana Archaeomancer. Instead, Archaeomancer is four. I'm yeah, so it's, confused. It's a, it's a more flexible version of Archaeomancer. Right. You know, I, I, I don't think that's wrong at all um i just don't have any eternal witnesses laying around and so archaeomancer okay, and that's that very fair sure that's very fair for sure because eternal witness is very expensive yeah 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 eternal witness is an eight dollar card whereas archaeomancer is an eight cent card and that's where i was like i only really would play it ever to get spells back anyways so exactly. this is fine um that yeah that that was just a i don't really want to buy one right now um <laughs> if i ever happen to c- come across one yes it'll Definitely take that slot in because double blue, um, kind of like that triple mana, um, it's kind of hard to work with, whereas the deck is mainly black and green. 
Um, Lightning Greaves I is another case of I just don't have one laying around, and I probably should because the deck does kind of depend on Moldrotha. It's kind of like the uh, Arcades of Strategist. If you don't have your commander out, sometimes you don't do a whole lot of much. Um, so Lightning Greaves definitely should be something that I, I do need to put in there. Animate Dead. I can see why people would play it. I'm not. Uh, I feel like you've been not playing a whole bunch of really good cards, but uh, you are bringing up some good points about the type of stuff that you're looking to recur as well. So I do understand it, but I'm surprised that you differ so much from the top and signature cards. Well, the one thing I will say, the problem with Muldrotha is kind of the thing I mentioned where so many cards are good in Muldrotha. I think (laughs) it's true. I I, I mean, it's not like it's not like he's not running anime dead so he can run, you know, some some trash variant on it from Theros. There's just there's so many cards that are good in this deck that you've just got to pick and choose. And I mean, it's, it's just easy to not quite make what the cut is for top cards while still running a really, really good card. Yeah, exactly. Like if, like all the cards that we've talked about in these top and signature and signature cards, they're all value engines, but they don't do a whole lot to actively win you the game. You just, it, you, and that's probably why Muldroth has such the reputation that it does, you know, Sidisi Brew Tyrant, like, Sure, you make a couple two twos, get Roggy, draw some cards, but like which of those top synergy, you know, top cards, uh, signature cards will win you the game? None of these really do. And so, you know, sure, I'm not playing Eternal Witness, Lightning Greaves, and Animate Dead. Instead, I'm playing Allurin, Cavern Harpy, Parasitic Strix, just combos that, you know, can go out and win the game. Instead of Sidisi, Brood Tyrant, and Gitrog Monster, I'm playing Presence of Gond and Intruder Alarm. So instead of a lot of these ways, like just all the redundant value effects, I've kind of cut back on that. I'm still playing a good amount of them, as, as we you know talked about, but you have to be winning the game at the same time. And so that's where I kind of cut back. I, I like some of the utility cards. I am playing Acidic Slime. That's one that you just blow something up for five mana. That one's really great. World Shaper, I haven't had a chance to try out. Um, I have one laying around, and I just haven't uh, played the deck recently enough. Um, to see if World Shaper is that great. Solemn Simulacrum and uh, Seder Wayfinder, I am not playing. I'm Simulacrum, I think, is just kind of not aged well. I think there's other cards that people can be playing now that will do those types of effects only better. And we kind of talked about this on a previous episode, like that in Yevamaya Elder. They just haven't kept up with the power creep in the format. Um, Sidisi Undead Vizier, I am playing, so you're welcome. <laughs> Another way to go find the things that will win you the game. because Another way... To- yeah, and it's a good creature and go tutor. If that makes sense. Yeah, and you you know you combine that with like veteran explorer, you ramp yourself a little bit, you tutor up something good, and then you still have a four six death touch blocker. So something like that, I am playing uh, cyclonic rift. Sadly, I am playing. Uh, it, it kills <laughs> me to play something like like cyclonic rift. And we all know this next card, Ramnap excavator. We know I'm playing that. That's just a given. It's a green value feature card. It's so good. Sultai Ascendancy, I actually, I want to try. Um, it's in the, the same slot as World Shaper. I just have to find room for it. That might be a little too much of the spin the wheels just because you're kind of scrying two and putting stuff in the graveyard. But at the same time, it's a three-man investment up front, but then it puts two cards into your graveyard every turn, and then you'll draw a card. So in right. a way, it's like drawing two free cards, and you don't have to use Moldrifter and keep yeah. paying that mana over and over again. So I can actually see a really good argument for including that because it is secretly putting a lot of cards in your hand. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Sultai Ascendancy, if I were going to play between Moldrifter and Ascendancy, I would definitely go with Ascendancy as well. It's also one of those cards people will have a tough time justifying blowing a removal spell on. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those another one of those cards that I just I need to find space for it is is where I'm kind of at on that one. Um, and then the last two cards there, Vessel of Decency, I am playing. It's a nice way just to fill your graveyard pretty quick and then just grab the important piece that you can use right away. And it's an enchantment, which is pretty unique. You're not spending a creature slot to fill up your graveyard as well. Right. Yeah. I I, I actively chose Vessel of Nascency, however you want to pronounce it, Joey. Vas- over... Vassell. It's, it's Vassell. <laughs> oh, Vassell. That's my that's my. I, I was guessing Vesel. Vesel Ulf. Vesel Ulf Nascency. Yeah, um, but I oh, actively great. chose that over Seder Wayfinder just because it's nobody's going to want to blow it up. Nobody's going to want to eat it out of the graveyard. I like Vessel a little bit more. So, Alrighty, and the final card, Siren Storm Tamer, which can counter some spells that target stuff you control. How about this Siren Power Wizard person? I am not, but I'm intrigued. I totally forgot this was even a card, to be honest. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Alrighty, and it's, you know, of the things to be recurring, like, a counter spell is always useful, and people are going to be gunning for that Muldrotha because as soon as they take that one out, your hand has just shrunk a whole lot because you no longer have access to your graveyard. So I think that could be a really good inclusion. One hundred percent, yeah. And and looking at the card now, that actually might be worth the the two dollars for an uncommon. Might be worth the investment. Matt's there. Matt's about to go do his homework too. Matt's right. doing it's some homework exactly. currently. Yes, but <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of the the rough you know aerial view of my deck. Yeah, you've got a lot more variants than I expected, but I am also really happy to see that. I had kind of expected that Muldrotha will be one of those things where all of the decks kind of look the same. But as Dana mentioned, there's so much that you can do with Muldrotha. Really, all it's doing is just giving you persistent access to good cards so you can take that in literally infinity directions. So it's neat to see that you're off the beaten path a bit. I do like that a lot. Yeah, Muldrotha is a very good just facilitator. It's just up to the, you know, how original do you want to be with the building the decks and like I said, we talked about that a little bit with some listeners. Muldrotha has a reputation of just spinning wheels and not actually, you know, doing anything with the value. I took it a little bit step further, didn't go with just the the value engines on the page. I also put in, you know, some ways to win, like defense of the heart and world spine worm. <laughs> gross really gross well it's definitely a pretty entertaining thing there and i'm glad to see that you're going to be doing your homework just like me but we can turn now to the final one of us dana let's compare your deck against the edh rec statistics all right i am playing talrand sky summoner for those that don't know talrand he's mono blue four mana to cast double blue and two colorless and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you put a 2-2 Drake creature with flying into play. I built this deck because I, I wanted a token deck. And I wanted a token deck that no one else was playing. So mono blue tokens, who's, who's doing that? So, <laughs> so that's where Talran came from. Um, looking at the new cards in EDH rec, we've got three on the list, which is Detection Tower, which is a land. Nexus of Fate, which is the infamous... Yeah dangerous president and Spellseeker. <laughs> president not president dangerous okay. president <laughs> and Spellseeker, which is a wizard that lets you uh, search library for instant or sorcery spell with cmc two or less i'm running none of those cards in my deck i, I am not sad that you're running none of those cards uh, i'm intentionally doing no extra turn stuff so that's why nexus didn't make it in addition to just being dangerous um detection <laughs> <laughs> um Detection Tower is just like the deck doesn't have that much targeted stuff that I just need to worry about. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just running so few creatures that Spellseeker just isn't something that the deck wants to, to be dealing with. 
Alrighty, so let's move on to those signature cards now, and there's a bunch of spell interactive stuff here, but what are you actually playing? So, uh, the very first card on the list is one I am playing, which is Primal Amulet, uh, which is an artifact. It's one of the flip arm artifacts from Ixalan. The, the front side lets instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less, and whenever you cast an instant or sorcery, you put a charge counter on Primal Amulet. So that's things I'm already doing in the deck anyway. So I just play this, keep doing the things I'm doing, and after I do that four times, it flips into a land that when I tap it and add one mana of any color to a mana pool, it copies that spell. And it's also a cast effect. So whenever the mana is meant to cast it into a sorcery spell, um, I'm sorry, the spell, it, the spell that I cast gets copied. So mm-hmm. anything I do, it makes a second copy of it. Yeah, really good with all those spells in your deck, it, for sure. It is indeed. The second spell on the list, Jace's Sanctum, um, also reduces the casting cost of spells. And whenever I cast one, I scry one. So those are both cards that basically are rewarding me for doing a thing I was already doing, and it's making it cheaper to do that thing. I am definitely running both of those. And then I'll just kind of clump together a bunch from the list here on out. Um, I am running Telling Time. I'm running Opt. I'm running Anticipate. Um, I am running Preordain. I'm running Impulse and Treasure Cruise, which are all essentially like one or two mana draws slash cantrips. And I have all those in the deck because that's what the deck is kind of built around doing is casting a cantrip to make a drake to draw me a card, which is hopefully a cantrip that I can cast to make a drake to draw a card. So that's that's the deck's basic plan is to do that. So all those cantrips I am indeed running. Really gross, but I like it. Um, but then there's a few other ones here. Like the, the fourth one on the list is Metallurgic Summonings, which is a really good card. It's it's three and two blue. And it's it's kind of doing that thing where whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, it rewards you by making a colorless construct artifact token. And I'm playing a token deck. But uh, five mana is a lot. Um, the tokens it's making don't have flying, so they don't have any evasion. It, it just isn't, it, it just didn't feel that impactful when I was running it. And I already have more enchantments than I want to running in the deck anyway. Uh, I'm running eight, and that's more than I would like. Um, and five mana is a lot, too. So mm. that's why that one didn't make the cut. All right, I'm on board. Well, I, I think a reason I think a reason Metallurgic Summonings isn't that great in this deck, at least. So all those instants and sorceries you named off, Opt, Preordain, Ponder, Anticipate, all that, those are all one and two mana spells. So like all these cheap cantrips that you're making, they're making one ones and two twos. They're not getting buffed up. Like you said, they don't have right. flying. So the, one of the enchantments you are playing, that doesn't buff them up. With, you know, given all your flyers plus two plus oh, so they're, they're, you're, you have a bunch of one ones that can chump, and, but they don't help you win the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I did try this card out, though, because when I first got it, it that was my, my thought was, oh, I'm doing this anyway, I might as well try it. Um, and I thought it was going to be good, and it, it just was uninspiring whenever I cast it, to the point where I would draw it and not want to cast it. Hmm. Um, moving on, we've got Rapid Hybridization, which is a, a single... Uh, single mana blue instant removal spell, destroy target creature. Um, I'm running that. And that doesn't even have to be good in this deck. Like if I just destroy something trashy to make a Drake and remove a counter off something and, you know, it, oftentimes that spell gets copied, it's it's useful just as a, as a way to cast a spell. Right. And we've seen with Beast Within that giving someone a 3-3 in exchange for one of their valuable pieces is not that big a deal. Yeah. I mean... Both of those blue single drop removal spells, Rapid Hydrization and Ponjify, which is not in this list, I'm running both of them. And they're both, I think, ridiculously strong. Uh, next, we have the Counterspell, Supreme Will. I am only running a handful of Counterspells, and Supreme Will is not one of them. 
Right. I, so Supreme Will, three mana, instant, choose one. Either counter a spell unless it's controlled to page three, or it does sort of that cantrip effect where you look at the top four cards of your library and put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Kind of a bit too much mana, I guess? Yeah, it, it, it doesn't do either one of those things well enough for me to want to run it as a counter spell, and I don't think that cantrip effect is that great at three mana either. I actually like the card a lot. It just never felt right in this deck. Alrighty, uh, that makes sense to me. Actually, I have Think Twice, which is a recent cut. Um, Think Twice is two mana to draw a card, and then you can flash it back and do it again. So five mana to draw two cards and make two drakes is fine. But I, I found I never wanted to flash it back that often. I always had other things going on. I had better spells in hand, so it just wound up being a subpar cantrip that I very rarely used the flashback on. That seems fair to me as well. We've got two more signature cards here. They're also counterspells. Are they among the ones that you're running? They are not among the counterspells I'm running either. Wizards Retort and Unwind. Unwind at three mana. Wizards Retort is also at three. Um, if I have Talrand out, he's a wizard. So I guess at that point, it's a regular counterspell. But it, it's not consistent enough. And I don't just have that many counterspells to care about it. I'm running ones that are probably slightly better, I would say. So these ones did not make the cut. All righty. So we'll move now to the next part of the page, and that's the top cards. The first card here that we see is the actual counterspell. I assume you are running this one. Our original counterspell, I am in fact running it. It makes the cut. It's a great card. Easy to cast double blue. And it. I pretty much, I'm not playing this as a control deck. I mentioned I don't have a ton of counterspells. I think I have five in the deck. So I'm using counterspells to prevent something horrible from happening, and that's pretty much it. It's not meant to control the pace of the game. It's meant to help me win or keep me from losing. Makes sense. Next up is Brainstorm, which is again a cantrip, and there's a couple more of these in the list as well. Um, I guess Factor Fiction really isn't a cantrip, but it's, it's a ridiculous draw spell. Cyclonic Rift, I'm, I'm with Matt here. I don't love running Cyclonic Rift, but it's so busted. It's in the mm. deck. It's in the deck. I just, I mean, I, I, I've That's wanted to not put it in. It's in the deck. It's in the it's deck. In the deck. It's, yeah. Next up is Rewind, which is also a counterspell I am not running. Um, yeah, we've heard your thoughts about Rewind on a previous cast, I think. Yeah, and I don't think Rewind's a bad card. Um, and, and you know what? Maybe I should reconsider it for this deck because I do have multiple mana doublers. I've got Gauntlet in here and Extra Planar Lens and Cage of Sun. So being able to untap mana kind of frequently you know, might gen actually put me ahead. If I'm spending four mana to untap four lands that I'll tap for two, that's pretty decent. So maybe I would reconsider that, but I, I, I hate leaving four mana open even if I do have that option. Yeah, it's a, a pretty big ask to leave up four mana. People kind of know what you're up to when you do that. I mean, I would rather counter, yeah, I, I mean, I would rather do whatever I have to do and only have to leave one or two free. So yeah, Rewind is not one I am in love with. However, uh, Negate is next up on the list here, and that is a counter spell I am running. Counter target non-creature spell, and that deals with anything I really care about. I mean, occasionally an Elish Norn comes down and that's a problem, but 95% of the time negate deals negates essentially a hard counter. Yeah, alrighty. We've also got Dissipate up next, a counter spell that exiles the spell. Is this among that suite? Or? It isn't. It's three, it's three mana, and I, I'm just not running anything. That's I think I've got one three mana counter spell, and that's Forbid. Oh, it's yeah, not canceled? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I am not running cancel. Um, I took my own advice and removed it from the deck. Oh, yeah. before, before I listeners, you can definitely go check out Dana's in the margins about cancel. I think that was your first one. That was, was that my right? first one. Yes, it was. 
Yeah, he does not like cancel. But moving on from the counter spells, we've got some other neat spells here too, like uh, Blue Sun Zenith. I have the theory that you're not running this one. I am not. Um, despite the fact that I do have the ability to generate decent amounts of mana, I want small, low-to-the-ground, fast things. Um, and Blue Sun Zenith, I mean, occasionally I would have 10 or 12 mana free to cast it, but most of the time I'm wanting to do things smaller and lower-to-the-ground than that. Uh, I mentioned Factor Fiction next. Uh, Sapphire Medallion is hey. part of our head-to-head. Uh, <laughs> hey. Sapphire Medallion is uh, in the deck, being able to reduce... A lot of these uh, cantrips down to one mana is really, really useful. We have Ponjify also. We mentioned Rapper Hybridization before. Ponjify is in the deck. Next, we have Baral, Chief of Compliance. I am not running Baral. Interesting. Uh, Baral's more something... I, I think you need to have more counterspells to care about Baral. I just don't have enough to, for it to make a difference. And a couple of the ones I'm running, like Counterspell or Swan Song, are ones that he doesn't reduce the cost of anyway. So mm. he winds up he winds up being basically just a mana cost reducer most of the time, and it's on a fragile body without flying. I just don't feel like he adds enough to my particular build. If you're running like right. twenty counterspell um, power end, then that is probably different. Yeah, yeah that I makes think, sense. I think that's super fair. Yeah, like or you're if you're like maybe if you're a storm deck and you're trying to combo out, Bro right. gets a little better. But I think at that point, for your reasons that you stated. Uh, Sapphire, Sapphire Medallion does the job, and it's just it's harder to interact with. It's not going to get a, a path to exile or or whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, and the last three we've got are two removal spells: Reality Shift and Curse of the Swine. And I guess you know what, Capsize is also a removal spell. Um, I'm only running, running one of the three. That's Reality Shift, which I think is a fantastic creature removal spell. Uh, Curse of the Swine being source for speed. I don't love. Um, capsize is great. I just always kind of feel bad about captain, casting Capsize five times in a turn. I don't know why I feel bad about that, and I'm still running Rift. <laughs> it's, but, yeah, it's probably for the same reason you feel bad for casting Cyclonic Rift. Right, but Rift, you just do it once, and, you're, and you've, you've pulled the Band-Aid off, and everyone can go on with the game, uh, with, with losing the game. Whereas Capsize, I feel like it's just, just relentless, slow water torture. <laughs> That's... A metaphor. It's literally true because this is a blue deck, but it's uh, right. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's upsetting. But yeah, you know what? That makes sense to me. And actually, Reality Shift is a really underrated removal spell. I've seen that do some really good work. The fact that it exiles the creature and then makes them manifest a two-two, which is almost never a creature that they can flip over profitably. Like Reality Shift is really sick. Yeah, being able to the, the exile clause in there is is one of the reasons it's so good. You know, it doesn't it doesn't split up worm coil tokens. It can hit up white steel colossus. It you know doesn't put stuff in the graveyard for reanimation. Um, I, I I adore reality shift. Interestingly, so now that we've finished up with the top and signature cards for Talrand, all of the things that you've described are things that I'm actually like the cards you're not running. I don't have nearly as much contention with the cards you're not running as I do with the cards that Matt's not running. So I think you win. Yay, me. <laughs> I've I've already done enough winning. I'll I'll let other people <laughs> share in on the victories. Matt, Matt, so let, Matt let me win. He felt bad. It was a sympathy win. He made a bad Moltrot the deck just for this purpose. I appreciate that, Matt. I mean, I I, <laughs> I let you win and not Joey, so that's right. how it works. Well, so I mean, I say that I say that I agree with a lot of the picks here, but we have one last segment in this show, and that's challenge the stats. But we're going to be putting a twist on it this time. Now that we finished up looking at each of our decks, instead of actually challenging the statistics, we're going to be challenging each other. Each one of us is going to take a look at the other person's deck and uh, maybe name a card that we think they shouldn't be running. 
Matt, would you like to start off by criticizing a card from Dana's deck? I sure can. So uh, one card you kind of talked about and you just kind of said like, well, of course it's in there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just supposed to be in there. Um, Factor fiction. I actually am not sold on because uh, there there's a better option I think is out there for you now. So Factor Fiction is an instant for a three and a blue. Uh, reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those into two piles. Put one into your hand and the other pile into your graveyard. Um, so one thing I notice is you don't have any way to interact with your graveyard really. Um, I do not. So so they can you know give you two lands, put those three spells in, in the graveyard, and they're out of the game. One thing that I actually think you probably want to consider it's a sorcery. So it is a little bit slower, um, but it is a mana cheaper. So, um, but manifold insights is a card that just came out in Dominaria. I think that's something probably if you're, if you're trying to make sure that you're getting good cards, manifold insights is probably a little bit better. At least what I would be playing and manifold insight in manifold insights reads reveal the top 10 cards, of your library, starting with the next opponent in turn order. Each opponent chooses a different non land card from among them. Put the chosen cards into your hand, the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think that's going to make sure you don't get blown out in that situation that I kind of set up. And I'm sure, Dane, it's probably happened to you a time or two. But yes. yeah, having the opponents, they can't choose any lands to put in your hand. They have to give you, in this case, in, in, you know, in, in your Talran deck, every opponent's going to give you a business spell. That's just how it's going to work out. Um, so I know it's a little bit slower, but doing that on turn three, as opposed to end of turn, turn four or whatever, I think that is something spicy that you might consider, uh, dropping in instead of factor fiction. I really like that pick. Actually, I do really like factor fiction still. I like the flexibility of an instant speed, but manifold insights, I think he's right. That's pretty gas. Well, that conversation, um, Manifold Inputs came up today on the EDH Rec Slack. We were talking about it, and I had said that's going to be a homework card. I'm going to I'm going to try it in a deck. It it is going to go into my Tower End deck, and I wasn't sure what I was going to wind up replacing. So you know what? For for testing purposes, it's easy enough to pull a Factor Fiction and put that in in that slot. So I wanted ah, to test no, we, it anyway. It's easy. There, there's an you've, you've made the decision for me, Matt. We Deal. all have homework. I'm so glad you do have homework to do. <laughs> exactly. Alrighty, Dana, is there a card from my deck that you kind of want to criticize? Um, there is. It's it's not a huge one, but but looking at your deck, it doesn't seem like you very often probably leave mana free. You have a couple counter spells, but I'm going to guess that most of the time you're tapping out or coming close to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that, I'm going to guess you probably don't use the regeneration clause on asceticism very often. Mm, yeah, that's okay. Astutely pointed out. Go on. <laughs> for the for the exact same CMC available in your colors, you have um, privilege position available. Now it's slightly tougher to cast because it requires three colored mana versus two, but you can also spend any combination of green or white, and it protects your artifacts and enchantments. And people are going to be gunning for that doubling season. They're going to be gub- doubling gunning for um, things like your hardened scales. Um, you have things people have to remove or they're going to get screwed. And double and, and um, Pro's Position protects those things as well and is pretty much the same card as Asceticism otherwise. It doesn't do the regeneration thing, but I'm just guessing you don't use that aspect of it very often. 
You're you are correctly pointing out that this is a mana hungry deck, and the one or two mana that I can leave up for anything any instant is usually on a counterspell or so. So yeah, I haven't regenerated a creature very often, and even sometimes some of the removal. I mean, I, I like the hexproof. This is a deck with two commanders, Rayon and Ishai. I I need to have something to protect them, and I think you might actually have hit the nail on the head because protecting all of my artifacts and enchantments is also really important. Because I, I like I need a sacrifice outlet to make sure that I can have flexibility with Rayhan to move my counters around. Ugh, that's a really good choice. I like that suggestion a lot. Now there is a cost difference. Uh, Asceticism I want to say is like twelve ish dollars, and I think I think Prohibition's over twenty. Awesome, that's great. Love it. Um, so so you know you do have to spend more money on it, but it's not like it's a and that's a lot of money for some people. I'm not I'm not saying it's not nothing. Right. But that, that, that's this is also, also a deck where I do have some fetch lands and exactly, and some shocks, exactly. exactly. In, in the grand so, scheme of things, with this particular deck, it's not a right. huge upgrade. Yeah. All right. That's a really that, that's really solid. I like it. Finally, I'm going to be criticizing a card from Matt's deck. This is one that he mentioned liking, but I don't like it. Uh, it's Veteran Explorer, the one mana one one that when it dies, everyone can go get two lands. Matt, I'm honestly kind of shocked that you're playing this card. To be honest, that. Honestly, to be honest, that's a good sentence. Go, go, Joey. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that you. Um, I'm surprised that you want to play Veteran Explorer. It seems like a creature that isn't worth recurring, and it it helps everyone else get to the same level as you. Uh, I'd much rather like I would just straight up swap the Stitcher Supplier, which puts more stuff in your graveyard, instead of Veteran Explorer, because I don't like I don't know the advantage of a Moldrotha deck is that you have more stuff than everyone else. And Veteran Explorer just makes sure that everyone else also ramps up with you. I mean, I have a group hug deck. I have a Kaneos and Tiro deck. And even in that deck, I'm not running Veteran Explorer effects because uh, I don't want other people to be on the same level as me. So that's probably the one that I would pick. Yeah, and I, I think that's understandable. And I've been playing it before. Uh, you'll notice that, like my mana curve gets pretty high pretty quick. Um, so I wanted ways just to get there as fast as possible and ways to recur. Well, you know what you could be running? You could be running that Sakura Trivolter that you criticized. Yeah, but that's that's only one at a time, though. I, I, but it has a built-in sacrifice effect on it. I don't that's know. True. Just, that one seems a little bit better than the Veteran Explorer. I'm I'm wary of giving my opponents that much advantage, even in a, a group hug deck. And this isn't even a group hug deck. Well, I, I thought so. I thought Joey was criticizing my deck, not Dana. <laughs> I believe it or not, Matt. I'm totally on board with not giving your opponent stuff i'm sure you're shocked there but uh, yeah i i'm i'm on the steve train here as well i would run steve over veteran explorer sure yeah there's a lot of good options for this moldrotha deck though let's be real i mean i'm yes, still surprised sure. that you're not playing eternal witness or something but it all does come down to that availability and sakura tribal there is definitely a cheap replacement for veteran explorer and i like that it only gives you the mana advantage as opposed to everyone else but anyway, I know this was probably a bit of a long cast, but this was also a really fun exercise. I don't know about you guys, but I really liked comparing the cards that I'm running against the stuff that I see on EDH Rec to like, you know, when you see that other people are playing something, but you're not, it makes you, you know, reinforce that or second guess it or just like make sure that you're doing it for good reason. And that's what makes it such a useful practice. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. It's good to do that kind of recheck and refresh, and it's also also useful to have somebody able to kind of bounce this stuff off from, because um, it's easy to kind of get in your own head or even in your own playgroup's head where everyone kind of is sharing the same opinion. Um, I like having some outsider points of view from different playgroups as well. That's really useful. Yeah, for sure. A privileged position is one that I hadn't even considered just because I don't own one. But you brought up an excellent point. It's 
wider protection is really, really worth it. So I, I think it's really, you know, not not just comparing against the statistics, but also comparing it with friends, making the deck building experience more of a community one. I like it a lot. For sure. I have nothing else to add because you guys nailed it. This was a really fun cast to do. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. And listeners, I hope that you try out this project as well. Maybe, you know, show the deck to a friend, see what cards they might cut, but also compare your deck against the statistics on EDH rec to see, are you running the stuff that you should be? Are you running stuff just ad populum? Having some uniqueness away from, you know, the, the cards that other people are playing, that's what makes your deck yours. And that's definitely something that, you know, we should all strive towards. I, I really had a lot of fun with this exercise, so I hope you try it out and uh, I hope it's just as fun for you guys. With that, though, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? So you can find me on the Twitterverse at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can also find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. And you can hear me once a week on my other show, Commander Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and EDHRECcast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when EDHRECcast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can also contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast Podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDHREC your deck before you rack your deck. I like that. What? Who's smashing stuff? I'm guessing Joey. This, uh... <laughs> A husband is home. He's he's putting liquor away. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's a lot of liquor. It's impressive. <laughs> they, they said you have a lot of liquor. Yeah.